Ready to hear a phrase butchered? Well, we're here to do it to start the fast lane this Thursday afternoon. Because there's this saying out there in the world of business, in particular sales and negotiations, that if both sides feel like they didn't quite get what they want, but they got a lot of what they were seeking, then it's actually probably a win-win deal. And that's really where it probably comes in for Virginia and Reese Beekman and the reunion of that pairing for the upcoming 2023-2024 season. Because Beekman yesterday, thankfully after the fast lane wrapped up, so we've got another day to squeeze something out of this content. Uh, as we're not in a slow time of year, you'll find out around 540 today when Lucas Jones, University of Lynchburg baseball coach, steps into the fast lane. But the Reese Beekman development last night, you get these people. I have it on sources he's going to return to Virginia. I have it on sources he's not. Um, when you start getting more qualified experts, Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN and others, who make their proclamations at that point, I'll actually pay attention to what you're hearing. And that's ultimately what we got last night because it was a fairly simple message from Reese Beekman. I'm planning to return to Virginia so I can work on developing into a first-round pick and finish my degree. Really not a lot else said there. Can't say that I'm surprised by that because Beekman is not a guy that's of many, many words when he speaks. Doesn't try to stiff the media with no comments like Marshawn Lynch back in the day. But he's also the kind of performer that just seems a little bit more quiet when it comes to his demeanor and presentation i'm not saying that can't translate into the nba in fact odds are when he gets to the association he's probably going to be a role player much more likely than he'll be a superstar and in that league and in the association it's generally the stars who have the loudest voice and the smart players understand how to fill a role and oftentimes that is knowing when to fall in line and let somebody else assert themselves. But that's one of the minor elements you could point to for the Reese Beatman development game. But looking back on his decision to return to Virginia, yeah, it is the fact that neither side completely got every single thing that they would have wanted. Because I think if you're honest, if you're a Virginia fan, you'd probably rather have another proven option at point guard that also has a level of size to him, or a point guard that has a level of skill that can compensate for inexperience. I don't think Virginia really has that. Dante Harris, about six feet, the transfer from Georgetown, and laugh all you want because he is taller like many people in comparison to Kihei Clark, who had that mixed bag of a career at UVA. Kind of a la Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, if you think about it. Lawrence guided Clemson to the college football. Yeah, a little different. Well, no, One, one it, well, okay, but, one's a little bit more talented well, than the other. But I'm talking about relative to their roles and their talents. In this sense, Trey, Lawrence at Clemson and Clark at Virginia, they're high stretch. No, listen to this. Lawrence at Clemson and Clark at Virginia. Their best moments came early in their career, and then it looked less impressive after that relative to what they did initially. Now, you're right, Trevor Lawrence, clearly more talented. He is a franchise-caliber quarterback in Jacksonville now that the Jaguars have a viable, competent NFL head coach, uh, not Urban Meyer, <coughs> Doug Peterson. Trevor Lawrence was a Heisman candidate his final year. Well, he was, and frankly, Clemson, you could e- easily argue that both the offensive coaching acumen and the talent around Lawrence had actually gotten worse 
from freshman to sophomore to junior seasons. But the other point, really, not to stretch to that comparison, Trey, but more to look at this from Kia Clark or from the Reese Beekman return to Virginia angle. I think Virginia would love to have another point guard that is a four or five star recruit and has size and contribute as a freshman or someone with a little bit of size, maybe not to that level athletically, but has the pedigree of experience. They don't quite get that, but they do have another option, maybe a, a richer man's version of R- Kia Clark with Dante Harris, the transfer from Georgetown. Then they get Reed Speakman back, who has always wanted to develop point guard caliber skills to go along with being the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, one of the all-ACC defenders last year, a Defensive Player of the Year candidate multiple times during his tenure in Charlottesville, and has had the skill set to handle the point guard responsibilities when called upon. And yes, you could laugh or maybe even pick a bone or two without the Virginia staff gave Kia Clark maybe more responsibility than he should have gotten in that particular role. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. They've gotten a lot out of lesser talented teams than even this most recent bunch. See the one from 2021-2022 that barely made the NIT and really shouldn't have done that based on what they had to overcome in terms of their lack of talent. That was the team that lost to JMU, among others, Navy as well, during the regular season. So we put all that into the blender, if you will, of analysis here and believe that Virginia didn't quite get everything they wanted out of the guard spot and out of the transfer portal. Good pieces with Rody coming in, with Miner being the post player. Maybe they can get creative and have another scholarship available if Jaron Stevenson wants to commit and reclassify as JerryRatcliffe.com founder Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe has been on that story for the last three, four weeks or so as it started to develop and he may be looking to do that. Stevenson, the kid out of North Carolina who's down to Carolina, Virginia, and Alabama, according to most experts with his recruitment. And if you want to find a way to get a four or five star post player in the program, Virginia will do it and they can clearly use somebody else with size down low. But Virginia didn't get everything they wanted back. They didn't get everything they wanted in the portal. And because of that, there's a little bit of a need to maybe cater the role and responsibility for a guy like Reese Beekman and say, hey, we may not have always wanted you to be the point guard, but we're willing to give you more responsibilities there. And we'll trade that off and help you develop offensively because you are an all-ACC caliber defender. Virginia could still use something like that on their roster, and Beekman brings that to the table. And then there's the flip side to this, and people often forget this, but from Reese Beekman's angle, again, it's why I think it's great that in college basketball, you can test the draft process, and you have up until about three, four weeks before the NBA draft itself to remove your name and return to school to get honest feedback, to get closure on where you realistically stand so that if you're Beekman, you realize, hey, I wanted to be a first-round pick in the NBA. What Virginia coaches may have been telling me may be the same thing that I am hearing with NBA scouts, general managers, and coaches offering their feedback. And it sure appears that was the case because in the best-case scenario, Reese Beekman was a projected second-round pick. That does not guarantee you a contract, and it means you're likely to be going on buses to and from G League level games, which is not even as glamorous as the lifestyle you get at a place like UVA or any other bigger level program. So you realize that. You realize you do need to find a way to improve your ball handling. Maybe you can get a little bit better defensively. Maybe you can work on your own game offensively for a program that needs you to do that and work on your game offensively, whether it's 
creating off the dribble, more consistency in terms of your jump shot, whether it's three or the mid-range two-point shot, which is less likely a thing in the NBA, but still can be an asset, especially as a system-based player and a role player, which Beekman will likely be at the next level. And so he needs stuff. And that's where this relationship for Virginia and Beekman makes sense this year, is the fact that he took as much time as possible. I know there were some people always taking and dragging it out to the last second. I don't blame him at all. Okay, yes, maybe some of that's NIL, and Virginia will offer that, but they don't have the robust NIL fund that other programs in college basketball do. Miami, Texas, insert your SEC school here. Kentucky, obviously, Duke, Carolina. I mean, they're in a different ballpark than Virginia basketball is, but it's enough of an option, and Virginia has a selling point for wing-style 3 and D players to the next level. Brogdon and DeAndre Hunter. Both getting to the lucrative second contract. Four years, $88 million for Brogdon. Four years, $96 million for DeAndre Hunter. They're set. Life-changing money. Bing, bang. Maybe Trey Murphy could get there at some point in the near future, a year or two away from realizing that dream of his of getting that coveted second contract. But if he can get something similar, guess what? He's set. It's another feather in the cap for Tony Bennett. And they've had other guys that have stuck around in the league or in the association at least for a while. Justin Anderson, Kyle Guy, DeAndre, or Ty Jerome, not star players at any point, any of those guys, but they've all stuck around. So you put all that together, and for Beatman, it's enough to say, all right, I can buy into this, I can buy into where it is. And for Virginia, it's enough to say, hey, we're a desperate enough team that we could use the talent upgrade that Reese Beatman returning would provide. And that's how this marriage tray makes a lot of sense. Is it perfect for either program? No. Is it perfect for either party involved? Absolutely not. Because for Virginia, you don't have to worry about Beekman. You could have other players that give you more flexibility with his role, and you have more talent. And if you're Beekman, you're developed enough where you're a coveted pick in the first round, and you don't have to worry about coming back to Virginia for another year. But going through the process as thoroughly as possible, both sides seeing what other options were out there, Virginia to replace Beekman, Beekman at the NBA, and were not there, the reality of where they're facing now, gives the clarity that both parties, I think, need to have so that they can go, oh, maybe it is better if we actually reunite for one more season. Yes, I thought I, you were playing an audio no, clip. No, 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 no. I was asking you, Trey, because you're more the NBA guy, so you can provide I the next-level perspective <laughs> on a league that, generally speaking, they don't draft you based upon system fit. They draft you based upon a skill set because— Potential. Potential. As you, ding, ding, ding. And it's rare to see older guys get drafted. It is. It's. It's. I mean, it. That, that doesn't mean it won't happen. It's just rare. Uh, rare to see. Look at Wimby, Scoot, Brandon Miller are all eighteen, nineteen years old, and they be the top three picks in the draft. Um, I think it's good for him to come back. I think if you're not going to be that first round pick, I think the difference between the second round and you know playing in Europe is not much, and and that you know ultimately is where Reese Beekman could end up, and I'm not trying to say this is an offensive thing, I think you can build a really nice career and play and earn great money by playing in Europe, so I think for him going back working on your skills and just seeing, like at the end of the day you get a degree that you can quote unquote fall back on if you come back, and you you can build your skills in a system in which is very NBA like with the way they want you know the team to work together. Uh, I don't think the pack line defense necessarily would work in the NBA, but the idea of 
defensive connectivity is a real big thing in the NBA. It's why Miami was so successful and why they're making the NBA Finals is they ran a 2-3 zone, but they had very good defensive connectivity. I'm using big words today, I guess. You are, Trey. You're showing off and, your intelligence, although and, we know it's there. And um, I think it's, uh, uh, it's going to be good to connect and to develop that connectivity and understand it better with another year. And, and you can win a national title or win an ACC title. I think that would be something big he could do. No doubt. It is. And there are chances to obtain those individual goals. And while Virginia is kind of a fringe top 25 team this year, if you get Jaron Stevenson, who's probably more ready ready to play than the Robinson kid, who's a commit and may reclassify, but clearly needs some physical development and upside, and you're probably not ready to throw in, plus the two freshmen that come in. It allows Virginia to mitigate the role of their freshmen. I don't know if you'll ever redshirt them the way that they did for uh, Leon Bond, who stuck around, and uh, Isaac Trout, who ended up transferring back to Nebraska to Creighton. But for Virginia, it gives you more roster flexibility, and you know what you have in the guard spot. Somebody that could develop into a point guard. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be a great selling point for Tony Bennett and his staff. And there's all the defensive acumen there. But you also know what you need to do if you're Reese Speakman. So it's not like he's coming back because of injury or because of anything else. He went through the process and got the full evaluation, which is really what he needed to do. Speaking of going through the process to get the full evaluation, you need to go through the process of shopping and get the full evaluation of your price options. They're clearly listed for you at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Because at InsaneRadioDeals.com, the value is listed, the normal price is listed, and the code you need to enter. The phrase that pays, as they would say back in the day on wacky FM DJs. Not like Rewind 1039 Lynchburg's classic hits, but some of the other stations that are out there. The phrase that pays, the promo code you enter at checkout, is military for 66% off your order now through June 6th and that does include the d-day special that trey will be a part of for much of the day on vtr in roanoke 99.5 fm and bedford 95.5 fm as well trey is of course part of our d-day special so i'm not a part of it as much i'm not on it well but you're putting it together trey yeah you are the man that is actually making this possible hence why i sound exhausted you are but that's why we're here to bring the energy in the fast lane today but trey we are calling you today's right. a good day today, today is a good day tonight you know what uh, Time uh, that, that. we're gonna get your thoughts right now in the fast five at five way to tee it up it's time for the fast five at five ish five fast-paced quick-witted things you need to know right now Number five. So, Trey, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because your Miami Heat do begin their NBA Finals quest right after 8.30 p.m. Eastern tonight in Denver. Out of the two games, if you're going to say Miami wins one of them, what is more likely? They get the rusty Denver Nuggets tonight or they come back in game two when they've got their legs underneath them with the altitude change. They did go out there after the win on Monday night to try to get acclimated, but they're just through a seven-game series that's been very grueling. What do you think is more likely? Miami is ready to go tonight and gets that adrenaline boost from having just played and against a rusty team in Denver, or that Miami needs more time to adjust and Miami struggles tonight, but bounces back over the weekend. Game two. Uh, My gut says game two. I would not be shocked if they win one of these two. Um, My fan in me thinks that Miami can do this um, just because this is a, a dream run. 
but the basketball person in me has as soon as I watched Denver against uh, Phoenix I just kind of came to the conclusion I know or let me correct that after I watched game one between the Lakers and the Nuggets I realized the Nuggets were going to win the whole thing because I picked the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals ironically also picked the Celtics in the Western Eastern Conference Finals so I was really wrong there but uh, I, I think Denver's get this done they have the best player in the world they're deep they have really good defensive versatility. They can score from every angle. Jokic can get them a perfect shot all the time. And Tyler Hero is coming back from Miami. That will be a good addition. But I think Denver gets it done in six. Um, but like I said, I might be. I have kind of picked Miami to lose in the first round and in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm also putting that in the air so that my fan and mate can be happy. You're doing reverse psychology, Trey. You're trying to jinx the outcome in favor of your team's happiness. Yep. Is it- it's a win-win. It's a win-win for me. You I'm know- either right or I'm I'm happy. It was kind of like the uh, <laughs> the bubble finals where I had like multiple future bet- bets on the Los Angeles Lakers to win the title, but also the Miami Heat were in it. So it was like a a really good win-win for me. Full confessional, I've done that myself as well. So it's just the reality of what has to happen. Sometimes it's uh, easing the pain of disappointment. Sometimes it's uh, <clears throat> hedging your projections and bets. Speaking of projections, we don't need to project. We've got definitive data on a former Hargrave coach. Number four. A.W. Hamilton. We agree he did a fantastic job at Eastern Kentucky, and they're no longer in Liberty's conference because A.W. Hamilton's Eastern Kentucky team sticking around in the A-Sun as Liberty has moved on to Conference USA now that we're in June 1st. But um, you revert back to it because... You saw him against Liberty. They got the win at home against the Flames in January. They played Liberty tough in both road games and Liberty Arena this year. A.W. Hamilton is a name to file away, not just from his time at Hargrave, but he seems like the type of coach now that Liberty's out of that conference that could really put his team in position, A.W. Hamilton in Eastern Kentucky, to be that dominant team in that conference. He recruits at a high enough level. He's clearly got connections and is the type of guy that could follow the Kevin Keats route. Keats was at UNC Wilmington. The Lynchburg native is now at NC State. It wouldn't shock me at all if A.W. Hamilton, in another year or two, has continued to do great work at Eastern Kentucky and moves his way up the coaching ladder, perhaps even into somewhere like the ACC. I'll just throw this out there. Clemson wants to get serious about basketball and wants something a little bit more exciting. If things don't work out with Brad Brownell there in Clemson. They could get out of that contract extension if they really wanted to. Could easily see a guy like A.W. Hamilton being a fit right there. Number three. NASCAR announcing the championship weekend will return to Phoenix next year, November 3rd through 5th, 2024. Chalk me up under the category that believes that it could do a lot better. And I understand Phoenix as a market seems to embrace the event more than Homestead Miami in the Miami area did. But in terms of the caliber of racing at the end of the year, Phoenix is good. You know, it's like a B, but it's not the A-level racing, especially with this car that we've gotten on a a mile-and-a-half track. And NASCAR has a number of those. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Uh, This is something that years ago I would have had to, you know, fight back the stuff coming up from my throat to say that Kansas should be in consideration. But Kansas has been the best race of the year so far. Miami often delivers similar results to that. With the way the current car is set up and what you've got, 
And granted, the weather in Kansas in early November is somewhat, uh, let's be diplomatic here, Trey, unreliable. I'm sure you could echo those sentiments having lived out there previously. But Miami, you know what you're going to get with weather, especially in early November. That would be my ideal scenario. I mean, Phoenix is fine, but for a championship finale, don't you want more than just fine? It used to be at a great place, Ed. It had really great racing, and it's probably the best mile and a half on the track. Miami. Yeah. Not Phoenix, which you is You know, the home track. of champions, you have the Florida... Well, the Florida Panthers technically aren't in Miami, but South Florida right now is, is starting to be very championship-like. Boy, you're getting optimistic, even though you said you picked Denver in the NBA final. Hey, they both won their... They're both in the, the Stanley Cup final, which you can hear right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg, and then obviously the NBA finals, the Miami Heat. Thank you very much for that, Trey. Meanwhile... Number two. Speaking of fine... Fine, $250,000 to crew chief Johnny Klausmeyer and 25 playoff points, 120 yeah, driver there it points is. for the regular season, which matters because we don't know if Chase Briscoe is even going to make the postseason. But Briscoe and the number 14 team got hit hard by NASCAR. Largest. For their counterfeit part on the next gen car. Why is NASCAR cracking down on this and increasing the penalties and the strength of it? You know, my mom was upset that they even did this because she doesn't like the idea of the cookie-cutter approach to the next-gen car. I'm fine with it. But why is that the case? It's very simple. It's because NASCAR has already said they don't want teams tinkering with parts on the car. And when you have that taking place and you've already levied penalties before against organizations and teams for trying to make adjustments to the car... Of course, you're going to come down harder as Chase Briscoe did. The regular season points loss is the big one. Playoff points, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it is a big issue for him. Speaking of penalties. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. Chase Elliott. We know the penalty is he's not racing this weekend at Gateway out in St. Louis. We also now know that NASCAR has granted him a waiver that he can still be playoff eligible if he finishes on the top 16 in points or... Gets a win in the nine car as he's driving it, not as his filling Corey LaJoy does this weekend, but a win at any point before the playoff cutoff line. Look, for NASCAR, I'm actually okay with this. They've been fairly consistent on that ruling. I don't put this under the favorable treatment for Chase Elliott category. I think it's the reality, and it's the hit them hard now, but give them an option later. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, Mike Barber, Richmond.com will weigh in on the re-speakman return to Virginia and the future of red-shirting players at a place like UVA and Virginia Tech here in the Fast Lane across the Virginia Talk Radio Network.